All right, it is another week of Bible Q&A live, and I'm joined with my awesome, lovely, smart twin daughters, Mary Claire and Rose. Happy St. Patrick's Day, girls. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Dad. All right, y'all. Mary's Mary's going going great in the green. You've got a little green on. I I don't have any green. Uh, on. A little bit. I'm half Irish. So that she has the red hair. That makes y'all quarter Irish. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. Everybody keeping everybody waiting on the live, but uh, we are working now, and we're going to jump into it with our live Q&A. If you have questions about the Bible or topics related, uh, let us know in the live chat, which is if you're on a phone, it's beneath this video. If you're on a desktop, it's on the right-hand side. And uh, we are streaming on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and we're able to take questions on all of those, but we do have some questions preloaded. So, uh, Mary Claire, why don't you begin with one of our questions and we'll get after it. Okay. You said in one of your recent, more recent videos about 10 differences between Catholics and Protestants, that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. Is that in the Bible? Okay, Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. So in order to see that in sacred scripture, we're going to go to the book of Revelation and the Apocalypse. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 11, and I think it's verse 19. All right, so here in, in the Apocalypse, we see a manifestation, an epiphany, a revelation of the new covenant being established. And verse 19 says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his testament was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and voices and an earthquake and great hail. Now, a lot of people think, okay, well, that's the end of that chapter. But you have to remember, the book of Revelation, originally written by John, had no chapter divisions in it. It was just one long book, right? No divisions. So the very next verse is chapter 12, verse 1, but it goes with the last verse of chapter 11. And the next verse reads, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and being with child... So you can see here that in the Apocalypse 11, there's a manifestation of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testament. And then the very next verse, it explains to you what the Ark of the Covenant is, and it says, Behold, a sign, a woman clothed in the sun. What was the Ark of the Covenant wrapped in? Do you remember what it was wrapped in? Have you seen? Gold. Gold. Right. Yeah, gold, which sign is the same color as the sun. The sun. Yeah, so... The whole the Old Testament is set up for us to be typology, which is pointing towards a greater, more powerful, more grace-filled reality in the New Covenant. The New Covenant fulfills the Old Testament. So if you think about how amazing this golden box was for the Jews, ultimately God had that pointing towards something that was even greater and more profound, and that was the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. 
what did the old covenant, the Ark of the Old Covenant contain? Do y'all remember? Mm-hmm. Commandments. Yes, the Ten Commandments. The Word of God. God's plan for the Jews was inside the golden box. And if you touched the golden box and you weren't a Levite, you died. It was that holy. So what is inside Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, is the Word made flesh. The new covenant is established in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The only time Jesus says the word covenant, which goes with Ark of the Covenant, the only time Jesus says covenant in all four Gospels is when he says, take, drink, This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new covenant. That's the only time Jesus says it. So ultimately, the idea of covenant and Ark of the Covenant has to do with the body and blood of Jesus. How do we get the body and blood of Jesus? The second person of the Trinity is incarnate inside a woman, a mother. So she is the Ark of the Covenant, and it's right there in the Bible. Make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. Good. All right. That's a good question. What's What do we got Thank next? You. Oh, let me go to the audience real quick, see if they got any any good uh, questions coming in. All right. Uh, was Jesus racist? I'm going to go ahead and say no on that one. All right. I'm not seeing any questions right now. So, um, oh, here's one. I think we did this last week. Maybe did we do is purgatory in the Bible last week? Um, kind of. So. Yeah. So. Okay. So, do you do you girls yeah. have Bible Gateway open? I do. Yep. Okay. Great. Go to Bible Gateway. Turn it on Dewey Rames if you don't have it on Dewey Rames translation. And I want one of you to look up First uh, Corinthians three fifteen. Rose, do you got it? Rose, you do that one. Uh, sorry. And then we're going to look up Second Maccabees as well. Okay. All right, I have it open. Rose, if you want to get that one ready, you're going to look up Second Maccabees. 1243. All right, I got it. All right, go for it. All right, First Corinthians 315. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Perfect. So here, this is talking about people who are believers, they follow Jesus. And he says some of them, you know, you can build your, your life, Paul says just before that, on wood, straw, hay, or you can build on gold, silver, precious jewels. And whatever you build on, it'll be revealed by fire. So when you die, if you built your life on gold, the fire of God will come upon you and gold will remain. But if you built your life on wood, which is vanity and sin, it'll be burned away. So he's saying when you die, you'll be saved, but some of you are going to be saved through fire. There's a purification after you die. And we Catholics know that as purgatory. Purgatory. Yes. Okay. Also, the Jews before Christ and after Christ and all Christians, going back as far as we know, prayed for 
the dead. How do we know that? It's written in 2 Maccabees chapter 12, beginning at verse 43. And I think, Rose, you have that one? No, I, I got it. Corinthians. Can we read it? Oh, Mary has it? I got it. All right, go for it. Okay. And making a gathering, he sent 12,000 dra drachms Drachmas. of silver to Jerusalem. Drachmas? Okay, sorry. Of silver to Jerusalem for sacrifice to be offered for the sins of the dead, thinking well and religiously concerning the resurrection. Keep going. Okay. For if he had not hoped that they were that they were slain that they who were slain should rise again, it would have seemed superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. One more verse. Okay, and because he considered that they who had fallen asleep with godliness had grace had great grace laid upon for them. Google. And it is therefore a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may, may be loosed from their sins. There you go. It's a wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they might be loosed for their sins. That is in the Bible. Now, Protestants who don't pray for the dead and don't believe in purgatory, they're like, well, it's not in the Bible. And the reason is Martin Luther re uh, removed seven books from the Bible, and this is one of them, Second Maccabees. So if Second Maccabees is in the Bible, you're supposed to pray for your dead. If it's not, well, it's neither yes or no. But we Catholics know that 2 Maccabees is in the Bible, and therefore we know it's a wholesome thought to pray for the dead, for them to be loosed from their sins. We also know that Jesus Christ accepted 2 Maccabees as part of the Bible. Do you know how we know that, girls? How do we know that? Because in John's Gospel, it says that Jesus, during the winter, was at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication in winter is called Hanukkah. You know, you know Jewish people who celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah mm -hmm. was instituted in the book of 2 Maccabees. So Jesus is keeping a feast that's only in 2 Maccabees. So if he doesn't believe in 2 Maccabees, why is he keeping the feast of the dedication in wintertime? Right? It shows Jesus accepts Hanukkah, right, as a mm -hmm. Jew. Where does he get Hanukkah? 2 Maccabees. 2 Maccabees teaches Hanukkah, but it also teaches prayer for the dead. There you go. It's a slam dunk. All and right. how did Martin Luther justify getting rid of those books in the Bible? So he said that the Jews don't accept those seven books, and so I don't accept those seven books. It was really a convenience thing for him to get rid of a bunch of books. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jews today do not, although they reverence second Maccabees, they don't accept it. And the Catholic argument is the Jews aren't the magisterium. They don't get to decide Jesus and the well, apostles. The Jews didn't accept Jesus. Why, why, uh, why was he so concerned about their, That's their what feelings? I'm saying. If the G if the Jews rejected Jesus, why do they get to say we reject these books? Yeah. Right. We go by the church, not by, um, what Jews after Jesus said so okay that was a good question very common question and i think we got it well so if ever if you want you can go to second maccabees 12 or first corinthians 3 15 and you're good to go all right thanks marlo okay let's go back into our questions ladies what do we got next all right so my friend my protestant friend i'm people say this all the time once saved always saved it's 
it's very common saying, right. is that true? Are you always saved? Yes. Okay. So Protestant evangelicals are big into once saved, always saved. And here's their reason. It's wrong, but I'm going to explain where they're getting it and what their reasoning is. And I think when I explain it, you'll be like, okay, I can see how they see that. And then we'll explain why it's wrong. Okay. So they say we are saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn heaven and impress God so that we get heaven because we're sinners. So God gives us salvation through Jesus, through grace, and he does all the work on the cross to forgive all of our sins. And it's a free gift. All right. Mm -hmm. Since it's free and we didn't do anything to get it, here's where they reason, the evangelical. Since it's free and I didn't do anything to get it, Therefore, there's nothing I can do to unget it or lose it because it's free. So once you get the gift, you always have the gift. You can't get rid of it. You did nothing to get it. You can do nothing to unget it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay, so here's where the analogy breaks down. For 19 years, I have given y'all Christmas gifts, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. were free. You didn't do anything right. for them. Right? Let's well, say like I when nice. I gave you. What? I was a good kid. I was well, a good I, kid. Yeah, I there's kind of the whole nice. Santa Santa thing, like be good and you'll get a <laughs> gift. But in reality, you know that when I got y'all new right. bikes, you didn't, you didn't really do anything to get those bikes. Right? No. Not. <laughs> okay. Now, you got them free. But there's a bunch of things that you could do to mishandle the bike and, and you wouldn't lose the gift like, well, I guess in a way you could lose it, that you would no longer have the bike. You could ride it to the park, walk home, leave it there for five days, and then a, and a robber gets it, right? You could leave it yeah. in the street and it could get run over by a truck. You could leave it outside for a long time and it gets all rusty and falls apart. So there's things you could do. You could even, I guess, give it to one of your friends and they could write off on it and you could never see it again. So just because you get some, you don't do anything to get something, the logic of there's, therefore there's nothing you can do to unget something is just not true in real life. It's true. Salvation is a gift. There's nothing you did to get it. But once you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you have to maintain your relationship with Jesus, which is why we're required to go to church once a week, right? To go to confession mm-hmm. at least right. once a year. But then there's a bunch of verses. So Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. So just saying Jesus is Lord, I believe in him. That doesn't mean you're going to be saved. In Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. And that's the big difference between evangelicals and Catholics. Evangelicals stress, when were you saved? Oh, I was born again, you know, in 1986, or I was saved when I walked the aisle or I went to a Billy Graham crusade. They always talk about the beginning. Catholics, the beginning is important, but the main thing that's most important is the end. How did you die? It's a journey. It's a process. It's a journey and it's a process. Exactly. So So, think of it like a marathon. 
when you when you pay your money to be in a marathon, you join into a marathon, they give you a number to put on your shirt, right? right. And you stand mm-hmm. out the the starting line and they shoot a gun and you start running. Great. You're in a marathon. That's awesome. But the most important thing is the picture of you as you run across the finish line at the end of the marathon with your mm-hmm. arms up smiling. I made it. I did it. That's what everybody cares. I mean, anybody can stand at the at right. the starting line. What no, matters? I mean, no, you can enroll in the marathon. You could show up and you could start it, but you could walk it, not finish it. There are plenty of things you can do to kind of diminish that. Exactly. The fact that you you have to follow through. Basically. Right, and that's more the Catholic thing. So that's why we have we pray in the Hail Mary, pray for us sinners now, and at the hour of our death. We have a whole sacrament, mm-hmm. extreme unction, which is given to you at the hour of death. Now, if you recover from it, that's great. But if you don't, you're equipped. Um, what else? Uh, that includes last rites. Uh, and then we pray for a happy and holy death. So, you know, we're looking, we're kind of focusing here on Matthew 24, verse 13. He who perseveres to the end will be saved, says Jesus, future tense, will be saved. So again, Jesus is looking into the future, not into the past. And I think evangelicals, I would challenge them if they're watching. You guys are always talking about when you were saved, once saved, always saved, giving your testimony when you were saved. But the more important thing, according to Jesus, is he who perseveres to the end will be saved. I mean, there's one more verse that I want to hit before we move on to the next question. That's Romans 11, 21 through 22. Paul says that there are spare branches on, on the vine, and if they don't bear fruit on the vine, they are cut off. How is that one saved, always saved? It's not. If you're on, if you're part of Jesus, you're part of the church, and you're not bearing fruit, which means you're not cooperating with Jesus, you're dead mortal sin, you're sawed off, you're cut off. So again, once saved all, and then we could also maybe do the uh, parable of, of the different kind of soils, you know, where the seed mm-hmm. goes out and it, some of it grows and is choked out. Some of it's eaten by birds, right. some of it grows. So once saved, always saved. I mean, I could probably give you another eight verses. It's just not the language of the Bible. You would want it to be right. true. If Wouldn't I, that be nice? Yeah. yeah. If I was a Protestant, how would I landmark the meet my salvation? Like what in my life would be, okay, you know what? I'm saved. How would, how would that work? The if main I was thing is what would I consider my salvation. Yeah. So most evangelicals can't speak for all of them. They'll say there was a point in my life where I was bad. I was a bad person. I was robbing, stealing, doing drugs, getting wasted going to strip clubs or, you know, whatever. And then my friend shared Jesus with me, or I went to a revival or I went to a church and the preacher man told me, if you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and savior, you'll be saved today. You have to make that commitment, give your heart to Jesus and you will be saved forever. And a lot of you girls never seen this, but a lot of times they say with every head bowed, and every eye closed, if you're one of those people that want to see Jesus, slip up your hand. Slip it up. And then he says, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. You probably heard people in the like pop entertainment say, I see you, right? That's where this is where it comes from, I think. 
And then he says, now, if you've raised your hand, I want you to make a commitment for Jesus. He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. I want you to stand up. And then people start standing up. He's like, thank you, thank you. And he says, now come forward. And they start playing the organ and some music. And people come forward and they cry. And there's the pastor prays for them. And for them, that's when they become saved. Not okay. baptism, not any confirmation. Anything. That right there, they had this moment of repentance and their heart is wrenched and they give it to Jesus. And then for the rest of their life, because they don't have confession or extreme unction or sacraments or sacramentals, that right there is saved. Okay. So even baptism, they wouldn't consider their salvation. I, bit, I mean, they could be baptized again, so I guess it wouldn't qualify for much right. if they're doing well, it again. Right? Anglicans, Episcopalians, Lutherans, and and uh, Church of Christ, they would they would especially if they were baptized as a baby, they might say, "Well, I was baptized as a baby, and when I got older, I made that commitment." Right, but still, for mm -hmm. them. It is the moment of vivifying personal conviction. Whereas, you know, we three and other Catholics would say, well, I have moments of personal conviction in my life many times over. I don't have to like choose one and say, that's what I want to say. There's an initial, which we associate with baptism, but then there is this cooperation in this, like I think one of you said earlier, a journey right? Mm -hmm. A progress that happens and you're supposed to be getting deeper and deeper into Jesus. So that's the big difference. It's not like turning a, it's not like turning a, a switch on and off. It's more like the fader switches where you like turn it on, you start cranking yeah. it and then, Oh, I fell away for a little bit and keep cranking it. The most important thing is at the end of your life, you get the switch all the way pushed up. And if you don't get that fader switched all the way pushed up, you're going to purgatory. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Right. Okay. Let me go, go into the live here. Oh, this is an interesting one. This is a super chat. And... The question is, who are the men that Abraham, Joshua, and others in the Old Testament seem to bow down to as their Lord? So this is this is really good. So in and this actually relates to one of the questions that we had on can angels become incarnate? Is that one of our questions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is gonna so why don't we do that one with this one? Can okay. angels become incarnate like Jesus? That's the question. And then once we solve that, we're going to answer this question. Who are these men, with quotes, men, that Abraham, Joshua, and others bowed down to as Lord? Okay, so first off, can an angel become incarnate like Jesus? All right, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's fully God. When he assumed a human nature by entering into the womb of the Virgin Mary and actually we don't really know the mechanics of it, but he did derive his humanity from her ovum in her womb. He is of the same DNA as Mary. 
it's not in vitro fertilization. God didn't create an embryo of Jesus and then in vitro implant it into the uterus of Mary. That's a heresy. Uh, the heretic Valentinian taught that, that God, that God made, or he made Jesus into an embryo and then inserted that embryo into Mary. No, we believe that Mary is the actual genetic mother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call... So their makeup is the same. Their genetic makeup is virtually the same person, basically. Just... Well, they're not the same they person, the just like y'all aren't the same. You would have her eyes, maybe. Is yes, that possible? exactly. He's going to yes, have... If you, if you ran a DNA he test, like he's going to look like her. If you ran a DNA test on... Jesus is going to be the, he's going to have the DNA related to the Virgin Mary. Definitely. Okay. But it wouldn't be like a commingling of like a, of like a, um, of a father's DNA because who didn't have a there human father? There would be no be? father DNA. It'd so be, uh, we, they'd be like very similar. Like what? So they'd, so would his like genetics be virtually the same as? That we don't know. Some people would say, Jesus's DNA would be entirely of Mary, but that would be more like a clone and not a mother-son relationship. Right. So we got to be careful on that. So she conceived by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when a human baby is conceived, there's the mother's ovum and the man's sperm, right? And those that procreation is a new person with the DNA mingling. There was no Mm -hmm. sperm in this situation. The, that yeah. generative power was the Holy Spirit. Now, did that Holy Spirit bring in DNA? I, I don't know if the Holy Spirit, I don't know how the mechanics work, and I don't want to be a heretic and say something wrong on YouTube. But Mary is definitely the genetic mother of Jesus Christ, and that's an incarnation. So okay. Jesus is has the real human race, the real human nature in all right when he takes a human nature he's fully god fully man there's a hypostatic union they're not the, his his divinity and his humanity are not mingled or confused or anything like that but his his he has a real humanity he has real eyeballs mm-hmm. he has real hair he has real intestines he has a real soul and a real human mind all of that it's not fake it's real so the incarnation means the mix of, say, Mary's DNA, Mary's genetic makeup, and his divinity. That's what incarnation means of the mm. flesh, right? Or how would you divine? Okay, so there's another there's another heresy called Apollinarianism, and I don't want us to get that. <laughs> okay, so did you just describe a heresy. What did Rose just describe a heresy? Maybe, maybe. Let's let's break it down. <laughs> so. Apollinarianism teaches teaches that there's the divine nature, the Son of God, and then that divine nature just is enfleshed with a human body. Okay. And doesn't have a human soul like we three do. Instead, where the soul would be is the divine nature. That's a heresy. The real okay, the, I mean. the Catholic Orthodox teaching is is that there's the divine person, the logos, mm-hmm. and then there's the the, the the human nature has body, blood, a soul, 
a mind of free will. Right. Right. So Apollinarianism says there's no soul or human mind or free will. It's just you have you have the son of God, the logos, and then mm -hmm. he, it's wrapped in a human body. Right. I think, I mean, incarnation means in flesh. Virtually, in flesh. Right? But I mean, when we say incarnation, yes. we mean in flesh. But it doesn't mean that it is divinity in flesh, literally. It's still a mix, like a... It's not a mix. We can't say mix. That's called the monophysite okay. heresy. <laughs> so we can't mix it. Dang it. All, all right. of this is very precise. <laughs> By the way, if y'all are if if y'all are hearing all this and you're like, whoa, this is really deep and this is a lot of nuance and distinctions, I have a whole course over at New St. Thomas Institute. And I go through every single one of these heresies with graphics and explain it and break it down for you. So I would encourage you to go sign up at nsti.com and we go through it. So the monophysite heresy says there's the divine nature and the human nature and they get mixed together. And because the divine nature is infinite and the human nature is finite, that the human nature just sort of absorbs into the divinity and no longer is there. That's a heresy. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so you could you can remember so it when we say the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. He has body. He has right. blood. He also has a soul that's human soul, and then the divinity. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's both. So when we talk about so, the incarnation of Jesus, we're saying the second person of the Trinity, who is a person, the second person of the Trinity, he, the proper Orthodox language is he assumes a human nature at the Annunciation, first mm -hmm. joyfulness. So incarnation, meaning he assumes human nature, not takes on a human form. Is that, well, like okay, so assume just is Latin for takes on or takes up, literally, okay. right? So he takes right. up a human nature, but not, so not just a human form. He doesn't just human look soul. like us. He actually right. is so a human. Correct. He has a human. He nature. assumes every single attribute about a human, like we are. Like we, he has the same human attributes like us, except for sin. Exactly. Yeah. So every single thing that has to do with human nature, physical right. and in the soul, he has. So he can identify with us as our high priest, except for sin. He doesn't have sin. Sin. No That's sin. an incarnation. Now angels. In order for them to do an incarnation, they would have to be born, conceived and born of a woman. And they'd and, have to have human souls. And then they would also have to have a human soul. And has that, an angel ever they, done that? No. 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 Okay, so but angels... But doesn't the, I mean, in the incarnation, doesn't Mary view the archangel angel as kind of human form. Yes. As a human male yes, form. But he's not form. A, he's see? a form. He's not assuming yes. a human attributes. So the he's angel. Form. Correct. That's why when you, right. when you, when so you were talking about Jesus and you said makeup. human, he has a human form. I like tap the brakes a little bit. Cause I'm going to say, well, we're going to go there with angels with human form, okay. but with Christ, we're going to say human form and human nature like christ literally has a heart 
and blood vessels and capillaries and eyeballs and a soul. Like he is fully human. Whereas an angel. It's a human is, facade. almost. Exactly. It's a facade. Okay. It's a form. It's a phantasm. It's a hologram. If you want to use that kind of language. So, so angels in the scripture, when they are talking to other humans, except for maybe like in Isaiah where they're looking more like animal type forms and also in the apocalypse, mm -hmm. most of the time the angels come and talk to us. They put on a human form. So, well, you know, there's like, um, so then, you know, there's a holy mod, you know, angels saying, do not be afraid because they're so like divine and like scary in a way, like multiple eyes, several wings. Is that then not biblically accurate if they appear most of the time as humans? Okay. So or what's that all about? the whole idea of them having multiple eyes and wings and rotating circles and spheres and all that, that's, that's what you see in Isaiah and Ezekiel and in the book of Revelation. And those are actually okay. higher angelic beings, like thrones, cherubim, seraphim, dominations. Higher than uh, both Gabriel. Angels, they are above angels. Yes, those angels are high appear, level. They appear got, as humans. Well, okay, so hold on. So, everyday... so we got nine layers of angels. All right. Oh, gosh. There's nine right. layers of angels. The, the lowest level is just angel. And then the Archangel. layer above them is Archangel. That's number eight. Okay. I thought they were the high. No, they're, they're not. They're not even close to high. Nah, they're not low. even close. All right. No. Archangel is level eight. Angel, like your guardian angels that we have, mm -hmm. those are level nine, yeah. lowest level tier angels. Then you have Archangels, and then you go up from there. You have Dominations and principalities and thrones. And I mean, I, I can't get them all in order, but there's nine levels. And some of those says Thomas Aquinas, like higher up in the, in the mid tier of the three, they're like controlling like planets and forces of nature. So they're oh. not, so, but the lower angels, the angels and the archangels, they are more in relationship to humans because they're down low. They're condemned to appear mm -hmm. as, as humans. They're not condemned. Slowly. They're not condemned. They did nothing <laughs> bad. All right. Those would be demons. <laughs> but they're just made. God's like, hey, I'm going to make some lower angels to deal with humans. I mean, you could think about there's God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Then there's the nine levels of angels in the hierarchy. And then right below that is human. And then you have mm -hmm. the animal kingdom, probably with like dolphins and chimpanzees towards the top, all the way down to your bacteria. And then you've got your vegetation. And then you've got your still matter like rocks and lead and gold that don't live. That's the hierarchy of the universe. Mm -hmm. So the lower level angels are communicating with us. And they have, since we experience communication through sight and ears and mouth and all that, they have to appear to us as something. Right. Yeah. So it's fitting that they appear to us in a human form. 
Okay. Now, now that we've done all that, we can go to the super chat. Who are the men that Abraham, Joshua, and others in the Old Testament seem to bow down to as their Lord? So oftentimes, for example, Abraham and Sarah entertain three men and give yes. them give them okay, food. I think and all I that. see what's going. Right. So these three men are talking to them. Two of them go on and go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they're sexually perverted rapists, right? Mm -hmm. Later, we find out in the story that those two men that moved on and went down the hill into what's now the Dead Sea and basically mm -hmm. nuked the place with brimstone. Later on, those are called angels. But early on in the story, they're called men, like mysterious men okay. that came and visited. Now, and in fact... What's that? They have the facade of a human, but can you physically touch them? Will they have the physical attributes? That's a good question. The answer well. is yes. Okay. You can okay. touch them. So it's they take out a human form physically, and that's right. the only way. That's There's the only some miracle. Way. Yes, and even through so, the that the so humans through all human senses we can perceive them, but Correct. that's it. Yes, they probably so they even have a smell. They could have a smell. They have a voice. Okay. The voice is actually, you know, hitting your eardrum. They have, you're seeing, you know, your eye, through your eyes, all these things. Even so that the men in Sodom, when they saw these two beautiful men who were angels, their response is, we want to rape those guys. He tells Lot, hey, right. give us those two guys. We want to rape those guys. Which That's book why, is that? What? Which book is that? Genesis. That's why homosexual acts are called sodomy because the men of Sodom wanted to rape the angels. Another example of this is in the book of Tobit. Let me see if I got Tobit. Yeah. Tobit. There's a St. Raphael, the archangel. He's, he's not an angel. He's an archangel. He's leveled up. He comes in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 25. Tobit's family's praying. And then it says, Raphael was sent to heal them both, whose prayers at one time were rehearsed in the sight of the Lord. So God sends one of his archangels, Raphael. Rapha is Hebrew for healing. El means God. He's the healing of God. So he, God sends his healing archangel, down to help the family. And then mm -hmm. once he's down there, he appears as a human to the family. And he actually, it's kind of interesting. He, let me see here. He gives him a fake name. I think it's Ananias, but I just want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, verse 18. He says, oh, no, he said, no, sorry, he said, I am Azarius, the son of the great Ananias. So they're like, oh, this is a human guy. And he's like, hey, I'm going to help be your guide and help you f basically get a wife for your son and help you restore the family fortune. I'll be your guide. I'll help you. So he calls himself Azarius, the son of Ananias. And they just think, oh, here's this nice human guy. And they start walking with him journeying 
but in reality, it's Raphael. So he takes on a human form or a human facade. And this happened. Angels always do this in the Old Testament. Okay. All right. I think that answers the you question. You want to move on to Yeah, let's do another one. Okay. I saw, well, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I saw a comment a while back that um, asked if women wearing veils in church is a sign of vanity. And one of our questions is, where does the Bible say for women to wear a veil during church? Okay, or mass? great. Uh, so we cover those two questions. Sure. Okay, um, good. So I thought it was really interesting as a side note, um, you know, the Church of England, which is Protestant, founded by Henry VIII, mm -hmm. they, um, they're debating whether to have gay marriages officially. They kind of have it unofficial, yes. but they, they're saying, should we make this official gay marriage? And I listened to two of the debates that they had, and one of the Anglican bishops, not Catholic, he said, our understanding of Scripture evolves over time. He said, for example, in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, it says women should cover their heads in church. And he says, but we don't do that anymore in the Church of England. And so that clearly shows that we no longer follow the Bible on this topic. And then he talked about women's ordination and divorce. And he's like, clearly the Bible... We're already, since we're already... You know, we might as well go a little further, you know? Exactly. He's like, since since these teachings are in the Bible and we already neglect them and disobey them, why not just, just neglect more. and disobey another one and have gay marriage? So I thought as a Catholic, that was really interesting because I'm like, here's a guy who's a Protestant, he's a heretic, and he's using women don't wear veils as a lever in order to say, well, why don't we just keep disobeying God? And so he's referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in verse 5, he says, But every woman praying or prophesying with her head not covered disgraces her head, for it is all as if she had been shaven. Mm -hmm. So he's saying that if a woman is praying in the community, he's talking about uh, Sunday worship in 1 Corinthians 11, because he's also talking about the Eucharist in this section. So we know he's talking about mm -hmm. Sunday worship or assembling as a church together. Uh, she has to have her head covered. And then he says in the next verse, for if a woman be not covered, let her be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or made bald, let her cover her head. So he's like, if you don't want to cover your head, you got to shave your head. Sinead O'Connor got to look just cue ball. And then he was like, if you don't like so that. So I'm guessing what it doesn't mean anything from is because like, oh, well, a woman's hair is like their crown of glory. Their earthly, and, and, like, kind of glory their hair. So I guess, like, then covering it in church is, like, yourself acknowledging that your hair is beautiful and, like, glorious in a sense of your right. femininity. So I guess that's, yes. like, but I, I wear a chapel veil. I don't subconsciously, I mean, I don't think I'm subconsciously, you know, being vain in that manner. I'm just, you know, it's tradition and scriptures. So like, right. Well, it's the opposite because. Yeah, because if you, because the most. It can I mean, be interpreted as spiritual pride. Or like that. You, does that make sense? By yes. some people thinking, well, I don't not, want to wear a veil because I feel like I'm wearing it for the wrong reasons. I'm wearing it because it's pretty. I don't actually feel like I will be humbling myself in that way. Or that I just feel like if I by wearing buying one and wearing one, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. Now, that kind of thing, those things I've heard. So how does how do how do you deal with those emotions? How do you a fully 
accept head coverings in the right way. Yeah, if you're wearing uh, a hat or a chapel veil or a mantilla or a head covering in order to own all the other women in church, I'm the most spiritual. That is a sin. But I think it's actually the opposite because most women or a lot of women who wear veils or want to wear veils are like, man, that would be so cool. I kind of want to do it, but I feel like I'm going to be judged by other people. So I think usually the judgment goes the opposite way in this context, especially for our time. And Mm -hmm. Mary, Mary was kind of right on in saying the reason that veils are worn is actually an act of humility to cover the beauty of femininity. I mean, you girls both have beautiful hair. I think everybody watching right now would be like, wow, that's some amazing hair. So to cover it is an act of humility. Now, if you're going to say, well, wearing the veil and covering your hair is vain or a sign of pride, then you're going to have to say, okay, well, what about the Virgin Mary who did it? Was she vain? Was she prideful? No. What about Mother Teresa who wore a veil every single day, covered her hair, or every single holy nun, St. Clair? All of them veiled their hair. I mean, that's actually becoming a religious. If you look at the church fathers, they don't say so-and-so became a nun. That's not what they say. And the church fathers say so-and-so took the veil permanently. And what that means is she became a nun. It's a sign that she's a nun. She's taking the veil and taking the veil is an act of humility. And so if you Mm -hmm. look at the next verse, St. Paul says in verse six, I'm sorry, verse seven, the man indeed ought not to cover his head because he is in the image and glory of God. But the woman is in the glory of man. Now, people aren't going to like that, but let's keep reading here because this is a theological argument. Verse 8, for the man is not of woman, but the woman is of man. Now, that's referring back to Adam and Eve, how the woman came from man. I mm-hmm. So I understand that the man is not a woman, but what about woman? But men do come from women also. So it's, it can, is it, cyclical man woman came from man but man now comes from woman as woman male babies and female babies come out of a woman we know that Mm -hmm. right so but we know that's not what paul's talking about here he's talking about the order of creation that god chose to do at the beginning he could have man created a woman and then said hey in nine months a male is going to come out of you could have done that but no that's not what he did he made a man adam and then he allowed adam to feel lonely look around i don't have i don't have a mate right it's not good for man to be alone and then out of man's side out of his heart he made a woman and so that's the priority that god instituted into creation so i don't think he's talking about babies he's talking about adam and eve okay And then he says, therefore, ought the woman to have power over her head because of the angels. Does that does that mean woman should have control over who sees their hair or like have power Uh, over her head? 
Like, I think this when is her hair is to be seen. This is more. Well, how's that I'm going. I'm going to pull the Greek because I think I know the Greek word, but I don't want to assume that I still know it and then make a mistake on YouTube. So let me open up my Greek New Testament here. And in verse 10. Yes. Okay. So the woman has exousion on her head. Ex means out of. And usia, mm -hmm. you might know, that's from the creed that we say that Jesus is of homoousion with the Father, the same substance, right? The same being. And so when you have exousia, it's like coming out of being. And it, it's translated here as power. It, it's also translated as authority, right? So it's, it's a sign of power and authority that she wears on her head as an act of humility. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And then the, the really interesting part is um, what Paul adds here. He goes, therefore ought the woman have power over her head because of the angels. And what is that? I mean? don't understand that part. Okay. Most people yeah. don't. There's two interpretations. There's two, there's two interpretations here. Okay. One is he's actually referring to angels, angelic beings. Whenever you're at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, you know that we are joined with angels and archangels and all the choirs of heaven as we sing, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. That's part of every single Mass. Mm -hmm that we are surrounded by the angels and the archangels at that moment, right? Lift up your hearts. We're in heaven. We're surrounded by angels. And therefore, women ought to be modestly covered. This relates, in a way, to what we discussed last week when we talked about Genesis 6, the Nephilim, and whether angels mm -hmm. were tempted to have intercourse with women. That's a minority view, but I'll put it out there. Okay. I think it's more but because you're in... but angels don't have physical, actual physical bodies like no. humans do. So, how would they feel as emotions towards Nephilim? I don't, I don't think it's, I think they wouldn't have I'm... the same chemistry as humans. No, I know. Do. I, that's why I'm saying it's a minor. I don't think there's angels that are there at Mass getting ready to worship the consecrated Eucharist and they're like, dang, that girl's hot. I'm going to, abandon my heavenly mission right now and lust after her. So yeah, that's why it's a minority position. I don't think it's, I don't think it's what Paul's talking about. Instead, it's the idea of, okay, if you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ, when Jesus is dying on the cross, at a certain moment, Mary Magdalene has her shawl on. And like mm -hmm. in this intense moment, Mel Gibson has her like take it and like put it on, right? And right. there's no words in that moment in the movie, but to you girls in a in a dramatic scene like that, what is Mary Magdalene doing or saying on screen by, by slowly looking up and putting it on? Uh, submission, perhaps, is what I'd say, by, by putting it over her head. Right. A sign it's of kind of respect, 
recognition of authority, humility, definitely. Yeah. And and it's like yeah, I'm full surrender. The, full surrender. I'm in the presence of something insanely holy right now. Like this is I've just entered into something that overwhelms. And so I cover, right? So that's kind of the idea. Like I am entering into the Eucharist. It's not only Jesus here, but it's all the angels. Like I've literally entered into the Holy of Holies and, and the response is, is, is mm -hmm. the cover, right? Right. So that's one. The other which uh, does have some witness uh, uh, in the Catholic church is angels in the new Testament sometimes refer to priests, bishops and presbyters. So for example, in the apocalypse, in the book of revelation, there's a letter to the seven angels of the seven churches. You don't write mm -hmm. letters to angels. You write letters to humans right? It's the seven angels of the seven right. churches. These are literal churches. And so you're writing to the bishop of each church called an angel. In the Eastern liturgy, it often compares the clergy as analogs to the angels because they're functioning around the divine species, right? So yes. <laughs> Paul might be saying here that a woman ought to have power over her head because of the angels. It might be, and I think this is actually a pretty good interpretation, it might be he's saying because of the clergy. Okay. So you've got father, the deacons, bishop or whatever. They're, they're there. They're at the altar. They're serving. Maybe they're giving communion or whatever. And it's sort of an act of humility of I'm not going to look. I'm not going to have my hair maxed out. Amazing. So and also out of respect for them. You, and you hear like especially – People my age, like, come on, help you, help you guys out. Come on, cover up, be modest, yeah, right. give them a favor. Yeah, so it's out. like, you know, <laughs> right. do your priest a favor, be human, right. be have some respect for them and their position. Right. Because so like that. Um, yeah. Also, so, so we could be talking, I mean, it might be, it could be both. It could be you're in the presence of the Holy of Holies. And so there's, this is fitting, but then you're also, you got the clergy there and you don't want to be all scandalous to the clergy. So cover up with the clergy. Right. Um, yeah. And does the Greek translate the angels directly? Is that, does yeah, it say the, angels? The Greek, I'm looking at the Greek right now, and it says diatus angelus, which is literally because okay. of the angels. Yeah. It's angelus. I mean, you don't have to know Greek. It's right there. Okay. We're going to pause here because I said we're going to only go an hour so. I think I think we'll stop here, girls. That good for y'all? All right. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, yeah. everybody, thanks. I have one more question. You got one more question. Okay. Yeah, I have one more question. Can in the Bible does it say women cannot pierce their ears? Is that in the Bible? I've heard that, but I don't think it is in the Bible. Um, is that true? Um, is it a woman forbidden from having their ears pierced? I've never heard that. I know that one of the matriarchs wears a nose ring. Um, okay. And so uh, I'm trying to remember in the Bible who wore a nose ring. Can I like do a, I'm not a little search? Ring, and I don't want you girls to get nose rings. I'm going to be really 
tits. No, no like it's y'all are going to be in so much freaking trouble with your mom and me. Absolutely not. Okay. But I am. Well, too late for the nose piercing. The ears, I mean, the ear piercing is not the nose piercing. Let me see here. Yes. Okay. Genesis 24 22. It is. Who is it? Rebecca. Rebecca. She receives one. I don't know if she wears it, but she receives one. A I looked gold, up nose ring. A golden on the, nose just ring. Just kind of like a keyword search. And it, a verse has come up about, therefore I will put a ring in thy nose and a bit between thy lips as if you're an animal, like an oxen, like putting a ring in your yeah, nose. Yeah, I think you're talking about Ezekiel. Yeah, it's it's a uh, sign of a sign of derision. Oh Are no, it is Ezekiel is I, I put a jewel upon my forehead and earrings in thy ears and a beautiful crown upon thy head. That's Ezekiel. I think the one she's talking about oh, okay. is Kings. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think there's any Bible verse against earrings. I never on women, I never heard that. Um okay. I'll I'll look it up, but I don't know about that one. I don't think so. All okay. right. Awesome. Okay, good well, job, we'll ladies. I appreciate all your good work. Everybody, thanks for joining us in our live Q&A Bible. And as I said last week, I'll say it again this week. If you want to go deeper on all of these topics, please go and check out the new St. Thomas Institute, NSTI. I have 10 courses over there, two courses on the Bible, one Catholic Old Testament. I go through every book of the Old Testament and give you the Catholic read on it. And then we have Catholic New Testament, where I go through every single book of the New Testament, all 27 books, and we go through all the Catholic doctrine and dogma. So if you want to go deep and you want to also read the Bible in a whole year and get my Bible Catholic cheat sheet, which I use today, I was cheating. I was using my own Bible cheat sheets called the NSTI, New St. Thomas Institute Bible Cheat Sheet. You get all that when you join and enroll as a student at nsti.com, New St. Thomas Institute, nsti.com. 21-day full money back guarantee if it's not for you. I think you'll love it, though. Go try it, and you'll learn a ton, and I'll help you along the way. All right, twins, Mary and Rose, thank you so much. Why don't we together pray a Hail Mary before we sign off? You want to do that with me? Yeah, yeah. All right, and, and, we'll, do, and we'll ask St. Patrick to pray for us, too. All right, y'all ready? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our St. Patrick, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Thank you, Mary and Rose. Love you. Bye.